Hello, Scouted Football fans. You are listening to the Scouted Football Podcast with me, Joe Donoghue. Uh, it's the Euros, the European Championships, or at least it will be tomorrow. Uh, they're finally here, a year late and in vastly different circumstances, but they are here. Uh, we've had COVID outbreaks on the eve of the tournament from Sweden and Spain. Uh, the North Macedonia team bus being given a ceremonious send-off. Uh, Philip Walter Foden harnessing his inner Paul Gascoigne with the bleach blonde look. Uh, I wonder who will end up being Scotland's Colin Hendry this time around. Um, but five years it's been since the last European Championships in 2016. Um, I find it absolutely incredible it was that long ago. We were all singing Will Griggs on fire. Uh, Wales were making inroads to the semi-finals. Uh, we all discovered the Icelandic clap. And, and best of all, Stan Collymore was bopping about Northern France screaming, Journaliste, Journaliste. <laughs> um, <laughs> this time, though, there's, there's no Northern Ireland or Iceland, but plenty of teams and fans who are likely to kick up a fuss at the various venues. Uh, we've got Amsterdam, Baku, Bucharest, Budapest, Copenhagen, Glasgow, London, Munich, Rome, St. Petersburg and Seville as our host cities. And on the Scouted Football Podcast panel, Stephen Ganavas and Phil Costa. Uh, gentlemen, how are we doing? But first off, uh, which venue is your favourite? Which one do you m- most wish you could be at? Uh, I went to St. Petersburg for the World Cup, but I didn't get to watch a game there. So I'd really, really like to go back and watch a, watch a match in there in their new stadium. I mean, it's got to be Wembley, hasn't it? Oh, very no. bread and butter. Very bread and butter. You can't beat the feeling of going to Wembley, really. Even though it's so cliche, for me, it's just you know a great, a great stadium. And obviously, as well, um, I've got a little soft spot for the, the Johan Cruyff Arena as well. So, not fancy another trip to Baku after uh, <laughs> no, no, <laughs> I mean, like Vietnam flashbacks from. Baku. <laughs> No, no, stay well stay well clear of Baku, thank you. I mean, nothing against the place, but... It's got good F1 races. Yeah, stick to the F1 for Baku, yeah. Steve, did you boo uh, Phil's uh, choice of Wembley there? Is that Was that on purpose or was that, you know, because you're very topical and you're very up-to-date with the news? Yes, Joe, England's team is full of the Marxists and we've got we to gotta, we boo them at all costs, all right? <laughs> Steve, you were you were at St. Petersburg for uh, the World Cup in 2018. Obviously, it's been three years since since the last major tournament. Um, is I mean, is there anything in particular that you've you've missed from sort of international football in particular? Because I feel like a lot of the time, the international breaks they come in what September, no, October, November, and March, and they just seem a bit disjointed. And I mean, especially during COVID times, it seemed a bit misguided uh, sometimes. But What's been so? What's do international tournaments breathe sort of a, a new lease of life into into the average Joe football fan? Yeah, I think international football is just the pinnacle. I think everyone, you know, everyone enjoys the day to day of club football, but when these international tournaments come around, it's just you know, just it's just another an, another level. So, um, yeah, I went to my first uh, you know big international tournament games in in 2015 for the Asian Cup down here in Australia. And you know, just the just the atmosphere, just you know, people are so so passionate about the national team. And I think you were saying in the podcast last week with Alex about how it's a a nice way of venting, you know, some of that nationalism in the not in the crazy patriotic uh, way, but in the you know, just you know, having the team in front of you and just being loud and uh, having a good time. So yeah, looking forward to this one again, cheering on the ancestral Italian homeland and. Uh, hoping for some nice some nice results. Yeah, a feeling a feeling of belonging I think is probably a good way to describe it. Um Phil, we we're going to get kicked off with, with sort of today's podcast nice and early. Um but 
the the general gist is is of course going through the uh, a, well a European Championships preview essentially, um, and we're not going to do it sort of similar to you know going through the through the groups through the teams and whatnot. We're going to go through individual players who we think you know have probably got a good chance of playing, um, and then going to going to go through sort of the the squads that um, that 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 are there that are probably a bit a bit stacked with with under twenty three talents and. The, the teams that we're going to probably cast a bit of an eye on scouted. But with it being the Euros, we kind of have a, a, a fairly decent grasp on, on which players um, are, are going to be turning out there, uh, many of whom have appeared in the handbooks. But just to get us kicked off, Phil, the, the floor is yours. Who do, you want to, who do you want to get started with? Well, first of all, I'm going to start with, with Spain, uh, COVID-ravaged Spain, and, and look at Pedri. Um, I think he had such an underrated season for Barcelona. I mean, he was the youngest ever Barcelona player to reach 50 appearances. I think he made 52 in, in total, um, which is absolutely absurd considering he just came from from Las Palmas the season prior. Um, and Ronald Koeman actually wanted to send him out on loan. Um, I'm not sure if many people remember that. Um, but I think there were inquiries from Borussia Mönchengladbach and Ajax, I believe. Um, right at the start of the season, when when Kuman was sort of uh, assessing his squad, should we say, and I don't think anybody envisaged him making such an impact and and being such a consistent figure for for Barcelona, um, especially during their difficult start to the season. I mean, they they brought things round a bit towards the end of the campaign, even though they they bottled the last few games um, when there was a, a a hint of a title charge on. But yeah, he's just so silky, so smooth, um, links play so well. He's, he's so nice on the turn. He's got great touch with both feet. And for me, the ultimate sort of test for, for his quality was um, how often Lionel Messi passed to him. And sometimes you look at Messi and it's just like, oh God, you know, I don't want to pass to this guy. And he, he'll sort of try and do everything alone. But there were a few nice goals. I can remember one against Athletic Club in particular when they sort of exchanged a couple of passes with each other and then Pedri did this insane back heel um, to put Messi through and he finished it so well. And for me, that was kind of like an understanding from from Messi that this guy's you know, he's different. Um, and I just think he had such an impressive campaign and it wouldn't surprise me um, if he if he was a difference maker for Spain during the during the tournament, yeah, absolutely, Pedri. I think the thing that I like about him is that he kind of does a bit of everything. Um, he's a very good distributor over medium to long distances. Um, he, I mean, he's not always successful in ground duels, but he'll he'll muck in and he'll do the work. But he's just got that, as you say, that that class, that ingenuity about him. And you know, if he was a twenty one year old, twenty two year old, and having the season that he had at Barcelona, coming off a you know, no no prior experience of La Liga. I think um, we'd all still be very impressed. But the fact that he's still just eighteen is, um, you know, it's a reflection of 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 why he probably should be um, in in with a shout of of starting for Spain at the at the European Championships, provided that he doesn't return a positive COVID test in the meantime. But that is obviously that has been the big news in the past few days. Um, obviously, the first positive test was Sergio Busquets, and then uh, Diego Llorente uh, tested positive. They Luis Enrique obviously naming uh, a 24 man squad out of a possible 26 to begin with because he wanted to to bring in just the players that he knew he was going to use and has now been forced to call up 11 of the under 21s and and six reserves. So it's kind of been a bit higgledy piggledy for for the Spanish um in the in in their their last few days preparation. 
Um, do you think that, I mean, in that group, Steve, do you think that there's anyone in particular who might be able to exploit that? If, say, for example, uh, there, you know, a few other Spanish players do have to drop out um, and, 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 and some of the 21s have to step up because they did relatively well against, I mean, albeit it was Lithuania, um, beating them 4-0 uh, the other evening. But um, is there any teams in Spain's group where you think that they could uh, potentially exploit that and any players in particular? I'll, I'll answer in a second, but just, just on Pedri and just to pick up on, on Phil's point, I was, I was watching, I think, the first Clasico of the year and um, Graham Hunter was commentating and he said that exact same thing about, uh, you know, that um, Pedri has arrived and he's comfortable at this level and he's up for it because he's one of the guys that Messi will look up and he will have like no hesitation to, to give him the ball. And, it, you know, at 17 or I'm not sure if he's turned 18 now, um, you know, to have the confidence of, of, you know, the best player in the world like that, you're... You're, you're definitely moving in the right direction. So, yeah, a step up from from the second division to make it so seamless uh, is super, super impressive. But, yeah, to, to continue on in uh, in that group, I think uh, a player that everyone will be be looking at to to maybe cause a few a few upsets, although Sweden themselves have some issues, I believe, with COVID in their squad, but it's uh, Alexander Isak from uh, Real Sociedad who come off his his best ever season I think he scored 17 goals in the league off the top of my head um who yeah it was just just fantastic this season he I think he's a, a player if if you haven't watched Isaac he he reminds me a fair bit about uh, a fair bit of um Dushan Vlahovic at, at Fiorentina he's uh, not a target man type but he's a great athlete looks to get on the shoulder uh, he's a fantastic fantastic penalty box poacher um, but he's also, you know, decent with the ball at his feet, although at, you know, pretty, pretty low dribbling volumes. Um, passing is probably not his, his strong suit, but um, yeah, he should be should be a guy that uh, will be a big, big threat for, for Sweden that will probably look to play a more transitional um, style going forward at this tournament. Yeah, sure, and and Isak is certainly a player that I'm I'm, I'm looking forward to to watching more of because watching La Real in, in Europe has been you know it's been good, it's been fun, but I don't watch them week to week. So watching Isak in close quarters, hopefully um, over the next month or so, will will be quite good. Um, I think that um, that Group E, which the that Spain and Sweden are in, has um, has the youngest player at this at this tournament, and that's Kasper Kozlowski uh, with Poland. Um, he is he's 17 years old. Uh, I think Jude Bellingham of England is the second youngest, who's who's also 17. Uh, they are the only two 17 year olds at the tournament, um, which is which is quite exciting because you know it's always fun to to see who the youngest player is at a major major international tournament. And I think, you know, given that the, there could be potential COVID issues with Spain and Sweden in Group E, that Poland could potentially be a dark horse in that group and, and maybe go a little bit further than many people might expect. Um, but speaking of dark horses, though, um, Group A, um, there's, there's quite, I mean, there's a glut of under 23 players in that group. It is, it is the group which has the most players aged 23 and under, but um, a large portion of that is is from the Turkey squad. Uh, and Phil, you've you've got a bit of a you got a bit of a liking to uh, to this squad here because, um, as as you were saying before off air, that you know they've they've got players like Halil Dervishoglu, who uh, you were surprised, I mean surprised to see, but pleasantly surprised, um, and you know Okan Kukchu uh, in in the middle. You know, uh, you know, I think the, there's there's quite a good um, quite a good young core there. No, definitely. I mean, in terms of dark horses, I've heard a lot of people say Italy, um, but I'm not really sure they're like a traditional dark horse. I know they've kind of been in the wilderness for a bit. 
Um, but yeah, Turkey for sure, having sort of looked at their squad and what some of their players have done this year, got a, just a sneaky little um, suspicion that they could they could do something this year. And like you said, a couple of really interesting young players. I mean, I, I've i got a couple of interests here with Mert Muldur, for example, who I've profiled in one of the scouted football handbooks before. He's a sort of a right back, right wing back from Sassuolo. I mean, particularly in the defence. Um, you know, you see a few names there, and you and you think, "Wow, this this could really, you know." I mean, Zeki Celik from from Lille, who just won the league. I know he's a bit, a bit older than our sort of twenty three um, sort of cut off, but he's just had a really impressive season. Um, even Chalas Oyunchu, who's a bit older now as well, but was definitely on the on the scouted radar. Um, Mary Demiral, you know, there's a lot of good talent there, and I think if they can sort of blend that youth with a couple of experienced heads, um, you know, in the midfield, for example, and and even up front with the unlikeliest um, goal machine in Europe, Burak Yilmaz, you know, I don't know where that season came from, but it was, you know, a, a joy to watch him really. Um, you know, if they can sort of get him firing with Hakan Chalanolu, for example, uh, Yusuf Yazici, um, even Cengiz Under, who's still somehow... 23 I don't know how that's happened um seems like he's been around forever um but you know even like Chan Ihan as well in the defense so yeah for me these guys are like um one to this team is one to watch for sure because I think they could slowly pick up a few results in the group stages and and um you know and do some damage but for sure I think defensively um they have some really strong exciting names in there yeah, Turkey had one of the the best defensive records in qualifying, so that is um, that is something which I think should be should be something which could be kept an eye on in Group A certainly. Um, but speaking of dark dark horses, of course, um, my my pick for for the dark horse the dark horse award uh, I think we're going to coin that now uh, is, is Denmark because they have uh, they have a, a number of young players there that are that are of interest and um, the the one and Steve you're going to have to correct me on this because they did not have on UEFA's very, very helpful how to pronounce every player at the Euros name sheet. Uh, they did not have Jonas Wind. But we did find uh, an under-21 European Championships um, how to pronounce names sort of guide from 2019. And Steve, would you do the do the honours? Well, I believe it says Wind, uh, but you can never really know with these UEFA pronunciation guides. They can tend to be a little bit a little bit dodgy but we'll go with wind i think we'll go with Jonas wind uh and and if if we start to hear wind or vind on on commentary th- throughout the euros then you'll know we're wrong um but now there's no way that you're going to forget him when he appears on the pitch because you know he's only starting to to sort of break out essentially in international football he's he suffered i think it was two major knee injuries so far two two major injuries i know that at least um, but this season for for Copenhagen, uh, he's been I mean he's been prolific. You know he's been involved in I think twenty five goals in around thirty two games. So you know he's he's very 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 effective for for one of the better teams in Denmark. And um, yeah, he's he's a very tall forward. Um, he's got got a very good strike on him. Um, expect him to take penalties. Um, perhaps not in this Denmark team, but if uh, if they do get through to the knockouts, which I'm tipping uh, as my sort of dark horse, then if there's a penalty shootout on in the midst, then expect Jonas to to step up and, and take one. But he's uh, he's them Denmark are my pick, and he's sort of the the player that I'm I'm singling out from Denmark. Steve, have you got anyone uh, that you'd like to to shine a spotlight on? Well, I'm not sure we'll get to see a lot of him, but um, Mikael Damsgaard would be a, a really 
uh, interesting one, even coming off the bench because I think he'll give you that uh, bit of pace and you know, that electric uh, counter-attacking speed uh, on the break to hopefully disrupt some defenses, and then he'll you know he'll give you a lot of defensive effort, which uh, Denmark might need in a you know, not the toughest of groups, but he'll he'll you know, definitely have a a a tough go against Belgium, and I think Russia will be pretty competitive as well. So. Yeah, I definitely think they can get through that group. That's that's Group B with Belgium, uh, Russia, Denmark and Finland. Um, we, we're probably not going to spend too much time on that group because Belgium have just the one under-23 player in their, in their entire 26-man squad. And that's Jeremy Doku. And we don't really anticipate him getting an awful lot of minutes. Uh, might see him sort of on the pitch towards the end of the group games. But um, yeah, there's not, uh, not too much to write home about, not too much to get excited about there. Um, I suppose a lot of people who will be tuning in will be interested to, to hear about England's group, of course, and our thoughts on, on the England players, because obviously it is one of the younger squads. There's the likes of Jude Bellingham, as I mentioned, um, Bukayo Saka, uh, Jaden Sancho, Phil Foden, Rhys James, uh, Declan Rice, Mason Mount. You know, there's a lot of a lot of young players in that squad and a lot who will probably see considerable minutes on the pitch. Um, so, I mean, I think it's it's only right that we do discuss the, the wealth of talent that, that England have at their disposal this year. Um, you know, it's been... It's been quite a while, I think, since since England have had such a you know a really really exciting youth crop at a major tournament. You know, there's there's been you know a, a lot of previous tournaments where the teams have been strong, but not necessarily where the strength has been in the youth. Um, I mean, you look at the likes of I mean Jude Bellingham. I mean, even if he doesn't start many games, even even if he doesn't play very many minutes, having that potential, having that ability. Uh, in in your in your reserves, essentially uh, at a major tournament, is 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 always going to be appreciated. And at seventeen years old, is 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 immense. You know, it it, it gives you hope for the future if you if you're an England supporter. Um, but Phil Foden, Jaden Sancho, very good chances of starting games. Marcus Rashford, likewise. Um, you know, Reese James, if if Gareth Southgate decides to to, to experiment on on that right hand side. Um, and, and of course, Mason Mount as well, um, who, who's been fantastic for Chelsea this year. I mean, what is essentially the question I'm asking guys is, you know, have you, is, is it too, is it too soon? Is it maybe a year or two too soon for, for England to be, to be really, you know, getting to the final winning a major tournament with this, this young group? I mean, potentially, um, you know, it's, it's all well and good having these young players, but you know, it, you are placing a significant uh, weight on their shoulders, you know, because this is not Nations League or or Euro qualifying when they're going to play some some weaker nations. So should we say this is like this is it now? This is the top of uh, maybe apart from the World Cup, this is the the top of international football. So I think it's all well and good being excited about these guys, but I think you know we just kind of need to let them let them do their thing. I mean. It, England do have some experience in their ranks, you know, it's easy, you know, in the spine in particular, um, you know, with Maguire, I'm guessing he'll, he will be fit, but even in, in defence in general, and you've got guys like Henderson in, in the midfield and, and obviously Harry Kane up front, so you can sort of build around that spine. Um, and I think sort of going forward, um, those spots are up for grabs really, because you look at, Raheem Sterling, he's just completely tanked out of form, and he was usually a guaranteed starter under under Gareth Southgate. So um, even Rashford, he's had some injury issues. Um, so you know, there's there's potential there for for you know, for example, for Jaden Sanjo to come in, um, even Phil Foden on the left, and obviously there's like you said, even to have guys like. 
Jude Bellingham on the bench and, and Bakayo Saka on the bench is pretty absurd, to be honest. Um, it's just such a, a likeable, um, exciting squad. And actually, it's my sort of relationship with the with the English national team has never been too um, deep. I've never felt that fussed at all by by the England national team. It was sort of an Arsenal presence within the within the team that piqued my interest. Um, but now I'm looking through the squad and I'm just like these are genuinely likable young guys who I find myself rooting for more and more. You know, even Mason Mount, like what a season he had. Um, Declan Rice the same. Um, and my one concern with Southgate is that he doesn't he doesn't release the shackles enough. And I think this is a team that could really benefit from that if he if he can just maybe tweak a few things to get a bit more out of the attack but I think in general this is a squad that you have to consider one of the strongest I don't have too much to add to that but um, in terms of should they be competing for for this tournament I think really uh, England are on the clock now I think I think there's five major tournaments in the next seven years and I think it'd be when you see that crop of young players come through they're not just good players like these are guys that are you know top top players in Europe already at 21 22 19 um you got five international tournaments in the next I think seven years three euros and two old cups um and I think if you don't win one of them it'd be you know pretty disappointing outcome from from the the talent of the the level of player that that you're looking at coming through not to mention the fact that you've got I think Calvert-Lewin Chilwell, Grealish, Calvin Phillips, all these guys, I think they're all under 25 as well. So um, I think it's it's showtime now. I don't think there's any, there's uh, any waiting to be done. Yeah, absolutely. I think, yeah, you're both very right on that. I think uh, if, if there wasn't to be one one of those tournaments in the next decades that, that's won by England, I think you have to say that it has been a failure because obviously the coaching has been in, implemented. You know, the, 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 the 2017, the... The, the trio of, of, of golds, essentially, uh, with the um, under-20 World Cup, the under-17 World Cup. And was it the under-19 Euros or was it the uh, the, two, the Toulon tournament, I think, um, where they all, where the, the, they did fantastically well, uh, England did. Um, so it's kind of the culmination of, of that year and, and the players coming through, getting regular minutes at their clubs. And now they're, now it's Gareth Southgate reaping the rewards. Um, so... Yeah, it's about um, it's it, it it should be it sh- it should be on on their minds. I think um, I think yeah, you, you've got to put them up there with with some of the favourites of this tournament. And speaking of favourites, you know, a strong team, uh, the 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 holders essentially are always going to be uh, strong favourites to to retain a title, even though it's rarely done. Uh, would be Portugal, of course, and you know they've they've got a a, a few a handful a smattering. I think we'll say of uh, of young players in this in this squad from from Fernando Santos. Um, the the most exciting for me is is Nuno Mendes, um, who is eighteen year old left wing back um, or left back uh, in, in this system and um, is is plays for for Sporting Club de Portugal and you know he's he's a he's a very very exciting prospect. I think you know the the fact that a year ago he was only just about breaking onto the club scene uh, and now is kind of undisputed that he deserves to be in this in this Portugal squad and you know he's got he's pushing Rafa Guerrero for, for a place in the team is is a reflection of just how how you know, how big the strides that he's taken over the past past 12 months have been uh, but that's not forgetting you know João Felix 21 years old um you know still very very immensely talented one of those i think one of the few players at this tournament who just has that ability to turn a game on his own um i, I think it was last year in the uh 
was, was it the semi-finals of the Champions League when when we all thought that João Felix had, had turned the tie on its head for Atletico Madrid and obviously that didn't turn out to be the case but he, he is one of those players and yeah, they've got, you know, even uh, Nuno Mendes, um, his, his sporting teammate, Pedro Gonçalves, uh, who's who was formerly at Wolves, of course, now now at, um, at Sporting and, and coming off the back of a 22-goal season, I think it was. I think we mentioned that on the, the Patreon pod. Um, but yeah, there's 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 plenty to be uh, to be sort of excited about in there, as, as well as a, a healthy helping of obviously experience, which is you know what you what you get with Portugal. Um, the the big talking point for them is is this group that they've got, Group F, Hungary, Germany, and France. They have to play, and you know it's it's not a foregone conclusion that they'll get out. You know, especially in tournament football. I, I, I don't know, Matt. For me, I think Portugal are one of the favourites along with France. Honestly, um, I look at Germany and I. You know, I know they won um, quite heavily the other day in their sort of pre pre tournament little friendlies. But I mean, for me, Portugal have strength in in literally every position. I mean, if you look at a depth chart, it's just insane what their um, you know what what's in their squad. I mean, even looking slightly beyond the the twenty three cutoff, I mean, you've got guys like Ruben Diaz who just had an insane season for Man City. You've got Jota who um, sort of transition to Liverpool really smoothly from from Wolves, you know, and then obviously you've got Cristiano Ronaldo who could be fifty five years old and you would still uh, bank on him to to score five goals in a European tournament. So, you know, it's it's what you said, Joao Felix. You know, maybe not as in, uh, as consistent as you would like at this stage, but capable of producing those those magic moments. And even Renato Sanchez, you know, I mean. He's had such a strange career um, and I think it's the classic too much too soon kind of thing because obviously the last Euros is kind of where he he broke through and everyone was like, who the hell is this guy, you know, um, came from absolutely nowhere and dominated uh, grown men, you know, as a 17, 18 year old. But now he's he's done the buy-in thing, he's gone, it hasn't worked out and I think he's obviously found a home now in Lille, um, had a, another really impressive season where they won the league. And I just love his his sort of energy and tenacity. And I think this is where football is now. We need mobile sort of dynamic players in the middle. And I think he he's, he's just the perfect example of a modern box-to-box. And yeah, for me, I think it would be a big disappointment if Portugal don't at least at least reach the, the semi-finals. But I, I, I know that they've got a difficult group, but Germany, they don't quite do it for me this year. So I, I think France and Portugal should emerge from that group, even though it's, it's a tough one. Well, the other thing you've got going for you is the best third place finisher, which were they best third or one of the best third place finishers in the last Euros? And that's yeah, how they, they got were. out of the group. Yeah, drew all the way to the final, didn't they? they? Yeah, they didn't even win the game until yeah. Uh, yeah, the semi final or final, whatever it was. So that could yeah. be another saving grace for whoever comes third in that group. So in something of a less traditionally or conventionally strong group, you've got Group C, and and one of the one of my hopes is that um, that, that Ukraine get through from this group. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm laying my, all my cards on the table. I think that they've got a good chance. Um, you know, they've got the Netherlands, North Macedonia, and Austria in this group alongside them, and I think it's 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 a real real opportunity for them to to progress. Um, you know, they've got 
I mean, the Ukraine are boasting something of a very young squad. Uh, they've got Georgi Sudakov, Ilya Zabani, uh, both 18 years old. Um, Anatoly Trubin, who's 19-year-old goalkeeper. Um, but even still, you know, they've got Mikola Shaparenko, uh, Vitaly Mikolenko, Denis Popov, uh, Viktor Sihankov. You know, there, there are... Um, a, a, you know, a real, a real core of young players, very similar to England in a way that you know the essentially some of the protagonists in this team are twenty three and under. And you know, speaking of the protagonist, it's going to be no surprise to anybody. I'm going to talk about Viktor Sihankov. Um, I think this is his tournament. He has to, he has to have a big one. Um, I'm sure he will, uh, and he'll make his, you know, he he'll make his mark. I'm, I'm sure because you know he's he's been so. Uh, he's so consistently good, so consistently excellent, so consistently prolific. He's a fantastic penalty taker. He's a fantastic set piece specialist. Um, his technique is brilliant. Um, you know, playing on that on that right hand side, on the on the right side of attack. You know, coming inside um, into the half spaces and you know linking up with with forwards in the middle. You know, the, the neat give and goes, which allow him license to get into the into the penalty area. He's just very good at doing that for Dynamo Kiev and. I'm 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 certain that uh, that you'll be able to do it for Ukraine as well uh, as he has shown, uh, and and hopefully you'll be able to do it in in an international tournament. Um, but there's also Zabani who who I touched on just then, who is the um, the 18 year old centre back. He is I'd say he's probably more likely to start ahead of Denis Popov, um, who's four years his senior but still 22 um, in the in the centre of defence because I think Zabani's got eight caps to his name now. I think they've all come over the past eight or nine months. Um, I kind of had a bit of a baptism of fire in his on his debut, which was I think a seven or eight nil, uh, might have been seven uh, seven nil drubbing um, by by France. Um, but you know he's been very very solid, very consistent for Dynamo this season, and um, is is a very relied upon presence for for Andriy Shevchenko, who obviously is a name many fo- European football fans will know. But for anybody who isn't aware, he is the Ukraine head coach. Um, but yeah, it's. It's I've I've got high hopes for them uh, and I can see I can now see it crashing and burning because that is the, the nature of international football. Now that I've said that, you know, you get off to a poor start and you're you're playing catch up for the rest of the two group games. But I hope and I do think that they'll be able to get through. Obviously, with that, uh, the 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 best the four best third place teams qualifying as well. Um, and then it's a and it's anyone's guess really a bit of a lottery with the um with the knockout games. So I think um. I think that uh, they're probably one of the teams that have the starting 11s filled with the most kind of young core of players because you've got Zaban, you've got Siankov, but then I believe, if I'm not mistaken, that Trubin, the goalkeeper, will will uh, will be the, the starting keeper who had a, a fantastic season with Shakhtar Donetsk. Uh, was a monster in one of their, their final group game against Inter Milan that, that, that got them through to the Europa League. So he's another one. And then just on, on Siankov that, He's kind of the the perfect international tournament guy that can just you know pull off a set piece out of nowhere that gets you that one nil win a bit like Gareth Bale I think at the last Euros that you know he's relied upon of that 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 freakish moment and they're the kind of things that that uh, Zihankov can can pull off. Yeah, I know what you mean. Those 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 moments which you know turn a game purely through just having superior technique and the ball sort of falling to you at the right moment and yeah the the, the goals that we remember. Um, sort of international games for like I always remember Giovanni von Bronckhorst's goal uh, for the Netherlands I think it was against Uruguay at uh, the 2010 World Cup you know the uh, the pile driver from range and you just think you know if anyone's going to line one up from sort of 30 yards and kind of just 
just bludgeoning it into the opposition's goal. I'd, uh, I'd back to Hankov to be able to do that as as well as the, the the neater stuff, which which happens around the penalty area a little more. Um, moving on, but staying in in Group C though, uh, and we're going to do a little bit more of a sort of a player focused uh, look, going back to sort of what we did with Pedri and and, and with Isak. Um, you know the the thing about Group C is that obviously that this could be a, a group in which uh, players who perhaps, especially to to British audiences, you know, perhaps are not. Uh, as well known, um, could, could sort of come to the fore. I'm, I'm thinking sort of uh, Roman Pavlyuchenko at UEFA Euro 2008. Um, and uh, speaking of strikers, you know, um, Sasha Kalajic, who plays for Stuttgart this season, who's been a very, you know, very even prolific, but he's also been a very imposing presence. Um, he will be playing for Austria uh, at this tournament. He's just 23 years old. It kind of came to came to international football and came to top flight football quite late in his in his career relative to to other players around him. Um, but he's a he's a bit of a monster, isn't he? Yeah, I mean, when when you look at him, you 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 kind of think this man should not be able to play football. Um, his body is just wrong for football. Um, it just you know it doesn't make sense that like he's actually really talented and can move. Um, and you know he's six seven, so naturally your your brain goes to all right. Let's get whip some crosses in, you know. But he's He's shown a lot of intelligence in and around the penalty box. He's kind of always on hand to to finish stuff that's sort of bouncing around, loose balls, things like that. Um, he's comfortable on the turn. I mean, obviously, he scored his, his fair share of headers. I think he scored the most um, in the Bundesliga alongside Andre Silva um, last season. But yeah, just a really unexpected um, sort of uh, goal scorer last year because Stuttgart in, in general are you know, heaps of fun. Um, I know there was uh, Silas who had a, a really great season before his um, before his cruciate ligament injury. He was playing in this weird kind of right wing, right forward hybrid role that um, basically afforded him license to bomb forward at every opportunity. And then on the other side, they had Borna Sosa. Um, and then there was like Wataru Endo and Nico Gonzalez. And they're just a super fun team. But yeah, for me, I think Kalacic is is one to watch because how how do you even mark guys like this? You know, he's just so big and gangly, and um, you know, for I mean, defenders are usually um, on the whole larger than most um, players on the pitch, but this guy just towers above everybody, um, and he can be sort of a great sticking point for for Austria because um, you know they're. I'm not sure about the overall quality of their side, but they've got some nice players elsewhere in Christoph Baumgartner who can sort of play that Aaron Ramsey role of getting into the box late with third man runs. And then they've got Zava Schlager, David Alaba obviously takes on a prominent role for them. But I think for Austria, Kalacic is my sort of one to watch, shall we say. And I think you'll, you'll do a great job to miss him on the pitch because he's just, he's just a massive presence, you know, and, um, it's the typical, without going into too many cliches, he's got a nice touch and, um, and I think he could easily bag a couple um, and be a handful for, for, for defences. Like you said, maybe an unexpected name to, to come through because he was a bit of a late bloomer. He had some injury issues, some bad knee problems. Um, but yeah, he really took his chance this year and, and I really enjoyed watching him come through because I'd never really seen him or heard of him before. So yeah, definitely keep an eye out for, for him. 
the more I think about it, he is a fantastic tournament player because, you know, who else is going to have a six foot seven inch tall striker who you can, you know, if you're, if you're really chasing a game and you need to, to get somebody, you need to just start pumping balls into the box. You know that as rudimentary as it can be, you know, you've got that option. Yeah, I mean, he scored 16 goals uh, and with five assists. And the good thing was that he wasn't streaky. Um, it was like consistent goal scoring um, throughout the season. I mean, um, there was, I think, like a six-week or seven-week spell throughout January and, and early March where he was literally scoring every week. Um, and he finished the season really strongly as well. So, um, yeah, for me, he's a he's a really exciting player. And like you said, for tournament football, you've got nothing to lose with guys like this. Mm. I haven't watched a heap of him as well, but from what I have seen of watching a little bit of Stuttgart is that he is a surprisingly good hold-up receiver to his feet. And in that transitional style that Stuttgart play, he's um, surprisingly good at then laying off and bringing others into the game, which yeah, at 6'7", you'd expect him to be the kind of guy that, you know, you lump the ball into for him to kind of, you know, head balls on and knock balls onto runners, but he can he can receive it and, and you know, his feet are pretty sharp to, to deliver to short targets as well. So, um, yeah, as you said, a, a great tournament guy that, um, you know, you should be able to rely upon to at least, you know, give you a chance to break through the press and, and you know, craft some attacks. It'll be interesting, it'll be interesting to see how players like Matthias De Ligt deal with, with a player like him. I don't, Steve, I don't know how he's dealt with the likes of sort of Edin Dzeko, uh, Dusan Vlaovic, you know, similar, you know, obviously not as tall, not as gangly, but sort of similarly imposing strikers. How's, how's De Ligt dealt with that at, um, at, uh, at, at club level? Yeah, I think Delic struggles a little bit more kind of isolated against trickier guys. I think he kind of thrives on that body-to-body dual kind of aspect of it, and he's only starting to enjoy it more learning from the the animal that is Giorgio Chiellini. So uh, I think he won't be necessarily phased by that. Obviously, when you're Kaladzic and you've got the uh, you know that massive height advantage, it's always going to be difficult to compete with him in the air, but as far as you know body to body is concerned i don't think that's a, a massive issue for someone like the league one of my favorite things about about tournament football is when you see you know these players that t- typically you haven't watched every week and the camera zooms in at a corner or a free kick and they're being marked by somebody who's about six foot two six foot three and it makes them look like an, a, a person who's of average height and it's like wow he he, he is really bloody tall yeah but I, i'm looking forward to that moment um when undoubtedly it will happen in, in one of austria's games um, also in Group C, though, uh, and at that six-two-six-three range is is Ryan Gravenberg of the Netherlands, who is nineteen years old, is the the joint youngest uh, in the uh, Netherlands squad with Yuri and Timber. Um, he is, I mean, he's a player that I, I'm, I'm very, very fond of. Uh, I wrote about him. I was fortunate enough to write about him in in Volume Eight of the Scout Football Handbook. Um, a very good ball progressor, very good carrying the ball. Um, you no, know, it doesn't do an enormous amount in the in the in the, in the way of pressing or, or sort of work rate, which has come to be sort of a a stick which some people have decided to beat him with. But in terms of being a you know a, a player who can pick it up from the centre half, drive forward through the spaces a number eight would typically take up, and then arrive where a number ten is, and you know sub- join the attacking line, support the attacks. Um, I, I don't think there are too many better players in world football at the age of nineteen who can do all of that. Um, I, it'll be. In, I mean, with Donny van der Beek pulling out of the um, 
of the Netherlands squad due to injury, then you know I think it opens the the possibility of Gravenberg getting more minutes. I don't know if it's guaranteed that he'll play, uh, but he got his first goal uh, for for his country uh, in the, the the last round of warm up games. Um, not a typically trademark. Uh, rifled effort from the edge of the penalty area, but uh, uh, something of a tap in, uh, a little header at the back post uh, after a, an attempt was saved. But I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing some of him because I think, again, like Kalajic, he could potentially be another one where you know teams begin to go, oh, actually, you know this this is a player with a profile who would be absolutely fantastic for X or for Y. Um, and of course, you've got the cat the. The, the point that he's been educated at the, at the two comps, which is Ajax's famed academy. So you've got, you know, you've got a lot of, um, a lot of positives here. And the, I think the thing is, you know, the, he's not in this Netherlands squad because he's just trying to make up the, the, because he's there to make up the numbers. You know, he's very much in with a shout, especially now with Van der Beek um, being, being omitted um, of getting some minutes. Yeah. I think he, well, yeah. Gravenberg's always been uh, a big lad and he's, well and truly at senior level is physically up at the at the level I think all through he was playing under 17 euros I think as a 15 year old and was always you know the 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 big kid there and at senior level he he fits right in and I don't think there should be uh any issues with him coming in and having a big impact I think probably off the bench um his ball carrying I think late in games uh could be really important and and that's probably where he gets the best out of his size is he uh, uses his body really well to kind of, you know, roll off players and, and continue progressing the ball forward. Um, you know, I still think that he has some, you know, work to do as a a creator, but as a, I think as a goal threat from midfield, again, coming off the bench, that could be uh, something that could be uh, looked upon to, to, you know, change things up. Um, so yeah, he's another one of those kind of difference maker players uh, that, yeah, off the bench are always important. Yeah, I just kind of love how he, you know, it's a bit of, it doesn't really count for much, but I just love how sort of aesthetically smooth he is on the ball. Um, you know, he chucks in like little ball rolls or nutmegs and even just, like you said, he's such a nice carrier of the ball. Um, and, you know, it's quite a rare occurrence because obviously a lot of FIFA and football manager players will know about him, but this is like a rare case where, an FM one, the kid is actually good, you know, um, instead of being some obscure name that doesn't really amount to much. Um, but yeah, like you said, I think with Van der Beek uh, injured, there's a definitely a door opened for him there in, in the Netherlands midfield. And I think he could bring a lot in terms of uh, transitions and, and even, you know, he's got a nice strike from range from the edge of the box when he arrives late. So um, I think a lot of teams will be watching with interest because this is a player that maybe uh, you could say will not be at Ajax in, in a couple of seasons. So, um, But yeah, I really like him. I think he's super smooth and, and kind of reminiscent to maybe a younger Paul Pogba. I know it's a bit of a lazy comparison, but I kind of see some similarities there. So um, yeah, I think he'll surprise a lot of people if he, if he plays. No, I, I wouldn't say that's a lazy comparison. I think it's something that, you know, if we're talking about a player which is very, very similar in terms of the style, who, who has the who has the rigour about him, but also has that smoothness, that silk, I think there's, there's very few, at the top level at least, you know, re, there's very few players that everyone would know um, who you could compare him to. Uh, and I think while they're not exactly the same, I think in terms of Pogba's long-range distribution, it's a lot, a lot more refined. Um, as you'd expect, you know, he's Gravenberg is still only, only 19. 
I do think it's a I think it's a, a, a fairer comparison than typically when you are doing comparisons um, of, of between two different players and two different teams and systems. Um, but one thing I do want people to to keep an eye out for is if there are opportunities for, for Gravenberg to, to to retrieve the ball, what he'll do is he'll sort of plant his leg uh, between the man and the ball and usually with a player who's smaller than he is. Uh, and he'll just use sort of plant his leg in there and then use their, their challenge as momentum to sort of take the ball with that foot and just spin out of the way and use that to, to really push on. He's done that so many times for Ajax and it's something which you just can't help but but notice and especially what Steve was saying about, you know, that, that being a real option to the Netherlands late in games, you know, he's, you know, the, the ability to carry the ball 20 or 30 yards in the space of a few seconds is, is something which is going to be so, so useful. Uh, I think, um, again, we're going back to the, the trope of, you know, uh, tournament football, but sometimes those, the games are, are decided on those moments and especially so in, in tournament games. So yeah, that's one thing that I'd, I'd implore people to, to keep an eye out for because he just does it with such efficiency and regularity. Steve, we've been we've been doing a, a few sort of shorts on on YouTube uh, of, of players sort of describing them and, and their styles in in about a minute flat, which has been has been actually quite fun to be honest. Um, and if anybody hasn't seen any of those yet, then do get over to the Scouted Football YouTube channel because um, there's there's a lot on there um, as well as the obviously all the podcasts that you get. Um, Ryan Gravenberg was was one of those players we've done a one minute snippet on, um, but so was Adam Plojek, who uh, I was delighted to see was on the bench for the Czech Republic's game at, uh, the other the other night. I can't remember who that was against. It might have been Albania, um, but I was delighted to see him on the bench uh, because that means he's not injured and he has been injured recently. He was out for around five months with was it a broken metatarsal, or a foot injury, or That's of it, some yeah. sort? Broken metatarsal, yeah. Yeah, so I, I'm I'm very pleased to see him there. Like Gravenberg, he's also a teenager, but he's 18. Um, and he's sort of my 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 great hope of of Group D. I think if somebody is gonna gonna spoil the party for England a little bit, then maybe a, a late Hlaszek goal for the Czech Republic would that would that do you? Yeah, well, it'll be interesting to see if he does come off the bench or if he starts. He does have the you know that versatility to to play off the right hand side. I think he's done a bit uh, at club level, but yeah, this the, he's one of my absolute favourites from from outside the the big leagues. Um, goal scoring machine he missed five months as he said with that foot injury and uh was still a top joint scorer in the in the czech republic and i think he he scored a four uh, four goals in 30 minutes i think in the the last league game to to come joint top scorer uh, and he's i think he's just about to turn 19 but he is built like a truck um he's super strong about six foot one i believe really good in the air really good in jewels and then once the ball gets on the ground he's uh, really strong driving into space. I think his uh, actual 1v1 dribbling is a little bit inconsistent, um, but that's when he's playing off the wing and he's got you know more of that chance to, to play that role, which I think if he is going to start, it will probably be out wide. Um, and then up front, when he can get into the box, he is uh, an absolute wizard. He's got every finish, the acrobatics, the headers, the you know outside the box, back post, you name it, he can do it. And he's... Uh, already shown the variety so far in his career, um, so I'm yeah super excited to to see him get some minutes. He, uh, I've been saying this comp for a while, but I'll I'll bring it up again. He yeah really reminds me of a a young Zlatan. He's got that same sort of physique, the same uh, mobility despite his height. Um, so I'm so excited to to see him hopefully start this tournament. And it would not surprise me if someone comes in and tries to pry him 
out of the Czech Republic and out of Sparta Prague after hopefully some good performances here. I think we we clipped up a couple of his goals on the on the scouted Twitter account a few weeks ago, and what I love is just how certain every finish is. You know, like right foot, left foot. As soon as he's got a yard, he's smashing something into the corner or into the roof of the net, and I love that quality. Um, I really think that's a game changer because you know, especially younger strikers, they're it's the typical thing where their their finishing is still a bit inconsistent, but he has that sort of Jamie Vardy esque quality of just being able to smash the ball with with little backlift, um, and I really love that quality in a player. Um, I, I mean, it's kind of similar to what a player like Lukas Podolski has. I mean, he couldn't do much else on the pitch, but as soon as he found the yard within eighteen, you know, yards from goal, there was something hammering straight into the top corner. Um, and like you said, he's he's shown a, a variety of finishes on either foot with his head, even the acrobatics. And um, it's a name people will have will have heard. Um, but now, hopefully, if he can stay injury free and, and maybe get some opportunities here and there coming from from the left, for example, um, I think he he will impress a lot of people. And I'll be very surprised, uh, really surprised, if he's still at um, Sparta Prague next season because someone will pick him up for. 20 million and and get a bargain really because I think he has a huge ceiling. I mean, I've got no sort of understanding of what the market would be like in the Czech Republic, but do you think 20 million would be would be a sort of a, a fee that would get him? I, I I would be inclined to say that perhaps given well, given how much the the likes of Sofal and, and Suchek went for, I'd be inclined to say that perhaps you'd go for a little bit less, but I mean, I, I agree with the sentiment. I think he won't be in the in in um, the Fortuna Liga, which is the top division of Czech football for for too long, because you know he he I mean top scorer this joint top scorer this season um, bagged a hatful the season before as a seventeen year old. There's you know there's not much that he hasn't done already um, to show that you know he is a player who is going right to right to the top. Look, I think the you're not going to be commanding massive prizes coming out of the Czech Republic historically, and probably the. COVID suppressed market. I think, you know, somewhere around the 20 million, maybe 25 at a stretch probably would be enough. Obviously it depends on, you know, who else is coming in for him. And, but yeah, I, th- I think if, a, if a West Ham, if they want to complete the, the check connection, then um, yeah, wouldn't surprise me if something around that 20 to 25 would be enough. Yeah. A Premier League club. I think they could definitely command Sparta could, uh, could certainly command that, that fee. Um, but yeah, um, moving on to, to our final sort of spotlighted player, um, we've got group A uh, and that was, you know, out of the, the, I mean, it looks like 20 to 30 players at age 23 and under in that, in that group. Um, the one we've gone for is, is Federico Chiesa with Italy. Um, and you know, he's at the top end. He's, he's a 97 born player. So he's, he's going to be turning 24 later this year, but while, while we're at the Euros, he will still be 23 and very much within scouted's purview. Um, Steve, you, you've obviously watched a lot of Chiesa this season, but in terms of him working well in this Italy team, you know, how does that, how does that work under, under Mancini? Yeah, well, firstly, I think he's got a bit of a fight on his hands to, you know, nail down a starting spot because it looks like uh, Domenico Berardi is going to be the the right wing option uh, to start the first game for Mancini. But whether he's starting or whether he's off the bench, um, I think he is a real, real X factor that can, you know, as we've talked about already, we've said a hundred times, but in a tournament, these kind of players 
surprise you and um you know Chiesa his energy uh his directness and I think with players like Verratti Barella Locatelli feeding him the ball um he's gonna be an absolute handful to to contain on the break if uh, if Italy can get the the counter-attacking game going and then you know you got to think about him paired with Insigne on the on the other flank and uh you know all of a sudden Italy become a, a bit of a a bit of a scary prospect um so I'm so excited to for this tournament to start because after Italy missed the 2018 World Cup it's good to now see some progression of some of these young players coming through and I think Chiesa will be be at the front of that but there's uh yeah not nothing much more exciting than when He's leading the counter-attack, barnstorming down the right wing. He sometimes can get a little bit carried away and not make the best decision, but I think he's uh, really refined his game a lot over the, the last year or so at Juventus, and he seems to be fitting in a lot more with other players rather than trying to be the, the one-man band he sometimes was at, uh, at Fiorentina. So, yeah, goal-scoring, creating energy he will yeah off the bench or whether he's starting will be uh yeah one of the players to watch i mean something silly like i mean i can't remember off the top of my head but i know it's something silly the number of games that italy have now gone unbeaten um uh, in, in in all competitions and all friendlies and stuff so obviously they're coming into the euros in in good form um and obviously with a with a very good qualification campaign behind them um so yeah with those young players there that obviously you know your your Chiesas, um I, I mean speaking of the the skill set of Chiesa, i'm quite excited to potentially see you know he, alongside Chiesa leading those counter attacks uh, maybe maybe a flash of Giacomo Raspadori who's uh, the 21 year old at, uh, at Sassuolo because he's got um he he can turn on the afterburners as well it's fair to say but yeah with Chiesa, i think He's yeah. I mean, if you if you're looking at a, a standout player, a standout attacking player in Group A uh, between Switzerland, Wales, Turkey, and and, and Italy, um, aside from of course Burak Yilmaz uh, at Turkey, uh, I think yeah, Chiesa is definitely one which could um, yeah, some big celebrations could definitely be on the cards there. And I would have wanted to be a a, a left back after 75, 80 minutes to mm. look up at a stoppage and see the the substitutes board up that says that Kiers is coming on uh, and then having him run at you for the next, you know, 10, 15 minutes to, to finish off the game. Cause he's uh, hungry, isn't he? <laughs> yeah. Cause you know, not only is he quick, but you know, there's when he, when he's in that mindset, like he really, really wants to get on the ball or in, and he'll just make it happen. Um, he's got that, you know, that extra bit of will to win sometimes that will just, you know, propel in that, extra 10 15% to to really put on a put on a show he did it in the in the Champions League knockout tie against Porto where he just decided I'm taking it over this game you know I've got to do something and he scored a couple of goals and was fantastic so uh yeah we've haven't seen it yet for for Italy so this will be his uh, first chance to really show what he can do on the international stage the sliding doors moment for his international career, perhaps. Um, yeah, he's, he's sometimes like he can be a bit nasty in a way, like, you know, when he's swatting off challenges, you kind of, you get the impression that he's kind of just shouting no every time somebody tries to come near him as he's trying to break away, which I quite like. He's, yeah, he's, he's got that, that that determination. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's what Steve said. I think his improvement over the last sort of year or so has been, has been really impressive. Um, I think refine was, was the word that he used in that, that, that's the perfect word, really, because I always felt like even though he was talented, you know, there was a lot of 
erratic decision making with his with his final ball and shooting in particular. I mean, you know, he would he would for Fiorentina he would just kind of get the ball within anywhere of thirty yards and just fire a goal and it would drive him crazy. It's like what are you doing? Um there's people in like much better positions ready for the ball or um but yeah, no, I think he's really impressed me this year. He's added um you know, he's kept that sort of similar goal threat, but he's added assists as well. His overall play is very tenacious and, and active. And and like you said, he's he can either start or he can be a dangerous weapon um, coming off the bench for the last 15, 20 minutes. So like you said, I think he can be a, a kind of a, a joker option for for Italy, who who I've got uh, a sneaky suspicion about as well uh, to, to do some some impressive things in the tournament. Yeah, he could definitely be a, a very useful extra time player, um, especially talking about those those poor left backs. If uh, if he comes on in the eighty fifth minute with the game still still tied, but yeah, there's um, there's plenty to get at there, and, and the Euros promises to be very very exciting. I'm sure anybody of a footballing persuasion, which is everybody listening to this podcast, will be um, will be delighted over the next month or so. Uh, and you know, bringing it full circle, uh, we we discussed the things that we like about the Euros and the things that we remember from past tournaments, and I think um, with that Italy link. There, the, uh, the 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 belting out of the national anthem, the Italian national anthem, will be one of those things that I'm I'm very much looking forward to seeing on uh, on Friday night when they take on Turkey in that that opener at the the iconic Stadio Olimpico in Rome. But um, yeah, that's all from from us on the Scouted Football Podcast this week. Um, thank you for tuning into our Euros preview. Um, do remember to check out uh, the uh, the Scouted Football channel on YouTube as there's uh, some shorts on there about some players who will be appearing at the Euros as well as some uh, some explainers such as uh, for uh, Ahmad Diallo at Manchester United. But yes, uh, it's been a pleasure to, to record this one, gents. Uh, thank you both for, for coming on. Pleasure as always and Forza Italia. Yeah, no, always good to be on here and, and let's see if uh, football can finally come home. <laughs> <laughs> let's see what happens, see if uh, Phil Foden's bleach blonde hair can carry England to the, the semi-finals again. Uh, but yeah, that's all from the Scouted Football Podcast. I've been Joe Donahue. Stay safe, take care. Bye for now.